Welcome everyone to the ACL Athlete Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about everything related to the ACL, whether that's the injury itself, the rehab process, return to sport, and more. I'm your host, Dr. Ravi Patel, performance physical therapist and coach. Between myself and fellow guests and experts, you'll learn through the lens of the patient, the healthcare professional, and the coach. The goal of this podcast is to equip you, the athlete, with the education to make the best informed decision about your care and your ACL journey. Thanks for joining. Now let's dive into today's episode. What is up, guys? And welcome back to another episode on the ACL Athlete Podcast. Today we are talking about a topic that I've been getting a lot of questions about. So we're going to dive into it today. But before that, I just want to remind you all uh, that there is a free ACL Athlete self-assessment download. Uh, so you can go to the link in the show notes, and this is something for you to reflect on and to evaluate your journey and where you're at, and this will be only available until next Monday, and if you didn't get a chance to catch that episode, that was episode 35 where we talked about it and broke it down. So go do that if you haven't, and let me know your thoughts. Okay, so for this episode, we are diving into the top five rehab priorities after ACL injury or surgery. So these are going to be your main buckets that you're focusing on right after you have that injury or after you have ACL reconstruction surgery. And this can get really overwhelming for a lot of people. And even for physical therapists, there's just so many different parts to juggle. And a lot of times they're following a protocol, which is eh, fine, but we need to make sure that we have a good framework and understand what we're working towards. So let's keep this simple, guys. And that's the main focus I want you to have for this phase one is keeping it simple. And we're going to reverse engineer from the goals you want to achieve of phase one. And the way that we use it with the ACL athlete is your restore phase and then building into your foundations. So these kind of go hand in hand. So restore is like, let's get that knee back to its normal function. And then we are rebuilding these foundations. And to tag along with that, I want to use the idea of a house, right? And in order to build your house, you need a very strong and solid foundation. I know people have heard this from other places, but ACL rehab, I cannot stress enough how much these foundations and these important goals that we're about to talk about are going to really dictate the rest of your ACL journey. And if you do not get the foundations right and restore these, then it's going to be very difficult for you to progress into the more demanding phases and to strengthen and to get into jumping and plyometrics and agility and all the things that we all want to get back to. But you got to do the initial boring stuff right in order for you to get there. So when we talk about phase one goals, one of the things that's driving this is the healing aspect. So whether you have the injury or the surgery, then you have to respect the healing. The body has to do its job. It just had trauma to it, whether it's either the injury or the surgery. And 
each one is going to be very different, but we have to respect what the body is doing. Just like when you're sick or you have a cut or anything like that. Sure, you can help remedy it to some degree, but you can't speed anything up. So this is where you need to kind of let go of time in terms of how long this is going to take and what this looks like. I will tell you that a lot of people will just kind of skip over this really quick or maybe PTs are following a protocol and they're like, okay, two weeks or four weeks, you should be into the next thing. But we need to look at what is happening with the person in front of us and being able to recognize, okay, what is most important for this person right now? Because what you will also know is that with these injuries can be a lot of different complications, whether it is uh, a meniscus issue and that's the difference between cutting away the meniscus or stitching it down. Is there a fracture? Is there another ligament injury? Um, Is there other things that are going on that could impact this phase one? And if you help yourself set the expectation and know that this initial phase is going to be a little bit more repetitive and can get a little monotonous just because you are working on these foundations, but we need to work on these and work on these consistently over time in order for you to get to stage two where you're working towards more of the strength and introducing other dynamic things. But right now, a surgery or an injury is constraining you to what you can do, which is great. So let's dive into these main goals. And you guys have heard me talk about this before, but the main things that we try to accomplish, these top five rehab priorities are going to be, four of those are going to be the quiet knee. And then the other is going to be your gait and walking pattern. So when we talk about the quiet knee, the first part is full active range of motion and breaking that down even more is we need to prioritize as much as possible full terminal knee extension range. And that means the passive where you're almost stretching into that. So if I were to lift your leg up, you can get there and then actively being able to contract that, and we'll go into the quadriceps next, but being able to actively get there. And this needs to be matching the other side or your other knee. And being able to match that up is going to be really important. Um, Typically, it's around negative 5 to negative 10 degrees of hyperextension. So if there's a PT out there or a rehab professional telling you that zero is okay, unless that is what your baseline is just at rest on your other knee and where you were before, odds are it's not. You need to get that extra 5 to 10 degrees because that's going to make the difference of you being able to recruit your entire quadriceps. And as we've talked about in the past, it will also distribute forces differently at your knee if you cannot get that full terminal knee extension. And flexion is also important, but this can be something that will come with time. And this is where you just kind of, as you're progressing week to week, you're slowly trying to build this up. No one gets a full knee bend after week one. It just doesn't happen. And that's not the goal anyways, but just look at this as a progressive process. But as soon as you can get that early terminal knee extension, you will be in such a good place to be moving forward. So full range of motion, especially extension with knee flexion coming along over time. Then you want a strong voluntary quadriceps contraction. You want that quad firing as hard as it can and as much as it can. 
And this will be something that will coincide with getting that terminal knee extension. If you're getting there, then your quad should be getting there with you. Um, so this is where I like to do neuromuscular uh, electrical stimulation, NMES. And if you're not doing it, it's something that I highly suggest. And that'll be another podcast by itself. But it is something that is supported by the research because we have such a difficult time with the pain and the swelling. And we know there are a lot of neural processes going on that shut down your quads that this NMES can help to kickstart it and get us firing better so we can build up our quads again. And so getting that contraction is very vital. And the point of this podcast today is not to go through different ways to do that, is to establish these top five rehab priorities. So we've got full active range, especially extension. We've got strong voluntary quadriceps contraction. And then the other two pieces of the quiet knee are minimizing swelling and pain. Well, guess what? This is something that's going to come with time and you're just going to have to allow your body to heal. And it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a dance between looking at the activities that you're doing and how your body is responding to it, especially your knee. So that's where the whole swelling piece comes in and the pain piece comes in is as you get further away from your injury or your surgery, then that's going to really dictate how your knee can progress with different loading strategies and with just your overall rehab. And then we dive into your normalizing gait or walking pattern. Gait is just another word for walking. And so the thing that can be tough here is that sometimes athletes can get restricted with weight bearing. So let's say that there's a fracture or a meniscus repair, and depending on the surgeon, they will uh, offload you or do non-weight bearing. So you can't put that foot down from anywhere to two to sometimes six to eight weeks. So it really depends. On average, you probably see probably around four weeks uh, with the meniscus repair especially. But it's really hard to say, and those are one of the things that you just got to respect with the surgeon, um, just because they went into the knee, they saw what they needed to do, and they've seen the history of working with their athletes and the strategies that they use, that this is a good time to start introducing load. But as soon as you can start impacting and distributing load into that foot, so let's say you go from non-weight bearing to partial weight bearing or weight bearing as tolerated, you need to do it. And as long as the pain and the swelling coincides with that, then that's going to be really helpful to be able to progress with your walking pattern. And this is going to help start putting load and stress through the joint, which we need. Um, Guys, if we offloaded our weight, so think about astronauts, they waste away. They Astronauts have to, because there's no gravity, Astronauts have to train a ridiculous amount in space. We have gravity, which helps us, but whenever we offload joints, we start seeing muscle wasting. And I know all of you guys have seen this. If you've had to kind of offload your knee, you start to see your quad shrink up, especially post-injury and surgery. Um, And it's one of those things that is not fun to see, but it's one of the things that you got to build back up. And part of that starts with being able to activate the quad and the range, but then also loading it through the ground by creating force back into your leg. And that's good. And you want to take this nice and slow. And so then that way we could also minimize how deconditioned that leg gets. So taking the 
gait pattern nice and slow with a heel to toe type drill is really good and using hurdles, things like that. And if you are non-weight bearing, then there are other drills that you can work on in certain postures and positions that you can add into the mix until you can start to put weight through that leg. But this is an important piece of this and can get skipped over. And what I will see is that people will have still a slight limp or they may compensate at their hip, which we've seen with research. And a lot of this comes down to they didn't get their range back, especially the terminal knee extension, their quads are weak, and they skipped over working on their gait pattern. And then now they're trying to get into all the strength training and even running and their knees swelling up and they're having a lot of issues because we did not get the foundations set. We did not restore the knee and we did not build those strong foundations. And now people are having trouble further down the road see this every single day. I have athletes who reach out to me about this and it's harder to get the further away you get from surgery or from the injury. So restore this as quickly as possible. And then some bonuses that I'm going to add is donor graft site loading. So if you had the surgery and let's say um, you have gotten a patellar tendon graft or a hamstring or a quad graft or whatever it is, You need to be strategic, but loading this early will be very helpful to make sure that you don't have this donor site pain later. And this is where working with a very skilled ACL specific physical therapist will really help you because they've seen this, they know it, and you want to make sure that you are taking care of this donor graft site. The other two pieces are going to be minimizing deconditioning. And so what happens is, is people have surgery and look, I've been through it twice. I get it. You don't want to do anything else, but as quickly as you can start to train or condition yourself, because when we're just kind of laid up, we start to lose these athletic qualities, whether it's speed or strength or just general aerobic fitness. And it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's the reality of having the surgery or the injury and then having to offset some of that just to allow it to heal. But you can kind of get back to things pretty quickly uh, because you have three other limbs, guys. So I have an athlete right now. She is three weeks post-op, but she picked up doing her upper body stuff a week after the surgery. And we don't see each other. She's completely remote, but she's crushing it. And she's been consistent with her workouts. And then she builds in her ACL rehab in between that. And we've kind of structured her program that way. But she is not minimizing her conditioning because she wants to stay conditioned upper body as well as aerobically. So those are one of the things to consider is making sure that this deconditioning process does not extend and you have other abilities to work on it. Just strategize this with the physio or the rehab professional you're working with to make sure you keep that conditioning level up. And you'll probably also see that your recovery is going to also help and be more beneficial for your ACL rehab. And then the last piece to this is going to be training the other limb. So training the other knee. Now, I want you to be sensitive about this because what people will suggest is like, you got to train the crap out of the unoperated side. 
But you got to also understand that you're having to do a lot more work on that leg because you're offloading the ACL side. So a lot of people are like, oh, we've got this great training program. Keep the other side as trained as possible. And you're going to do workouts on that. And look, the first week, it's a doozy. So don't kill yourself with it. But there is this concept of a cross-education effect. And I'm planning to do a podcast on this very soon, actually. But it's where if you train the unoperated side or the uninjured side, you can still reserve some of the benefits of strength and also muscle size on the other side. And we've seen this through research. The body is really crazy. But a lot of this works through neural pathways. And there's something about the eccentric training of it. So think about if you're standing and you lower yourself on your unoperated side carefully, but you're eccentrically lowering and working your quad uh, to a chair, then that can have some benefits to the operated side to help preserve some muscle and strength. So that is just one of the things to think about. But just know, guys, that just because a protocol says in two weeks you should be doing this, I've always stressed to you, do not worry about time as much in this ACL rehab process because it will crush you if you look at, you know, three months and you're supposed to be running and all of a sudden you're at three months and you could still barely do normal squats, right? And things like that. So that's where setting that foundation is important. And just remember every protocol is just a guide and every athlete and you are different. Just know you're different from me, different from other athletes that I work with. And there are a lot of pieces to your own life and even your own injury and surgery that is going to dictate your whole recovery process. And that will help to ease this process for you, especially when you kickstart, because I know a lot of athletes and what you want to do is push as hard as you can, but just listen to your body for the, especially phase one, but through this whole process. And more importantly, you should be working with someone who knows how to guide you with it and to hold you back or give you, let you take the gas and move forward. So with each athlete I'm working with, we progress based on their specific case and not time. So just as you know, sure, we have certain constraints on it, but phase one can vary a lot. And depending on the athlete, for me, sometimes this phase can really be anywhere from three weeks to 12 weeks, depending on the case. Now, if I had to put an average on it, it's going to be somewhere around the six-week range. Does that mean that we don't start moving towards other things? Not at all. But that's where we kind of break down what are the things that they are missing and they need in order to move forward. But we do not move forward with more high intense stuff or aggressive things until they have these foundations and these top five rehab priorities in place in their phase one. We do not. It's essentially like we don't build level two until level one is built and the foundation is built. So that's the way that I look at it uh, as we move forward. And that's where people will be set up for the best success if they stay and adhere to these types of guidelines. And if you guys want to dive in more in terms of the details of these specific areas, uh, I did an episode on the quiet knee, uh, as well as prehab and these different components of knee extension, quad activation and strength. Uh, episodes 10 through 15, I believe, should get you guys everything you need to look at more details of this. But today I just want to come on and talk about 
these five priorities. So if we're going to recap this, it's going to be the quiet knee, which is full range of motion, prioritizing full terminal knee extension as flexion comes along, full quadriceps activation, which is that front thigh muscle, right? Let's get that thing nice and contracted and active, little to no pain and little to no joint effusion and swelling, which can always be a doozy. Okay. And then the fifth component of this is going to be normalizing your gait and walking pattern. And those things are going to carry you out in this first phase into the rest of your ACL rehab. The other bonuses that I'd mentioned were donor graft site loading, minimizing the deconditioning process by still getting your other three limbs involved, and training the other leg and making sure uh, the cross education effect can play a role. And making sure also on the, the limb that is operated, this should be understood, but that you're also working the other muscle groups. So your glutes, uh, hip abductors, your calves, uh, shins, typically people are doing ankle pumps. All those other pieces are typically understood with this early uh, ACL injury or post-op. But um, those are going along with the deconditioning process of making sure that everything else stays conditioned as you progress along in your ACL rehab. Cool. So set the foundations, guys. I cannot stress this enough because this will build on top of each other as you move forward. And athletes who typically do this well have a good rest of the rehab process. All right, guys. So that's it for today. Don't forget the free download that'll be up until Monday. But I hope that this was helpful. If you have any questions, as always, please feel free to reach out. Ravi, R-A-V-I, at theacelathlete.com. Until next time, guys, this is your host, Ravi Patel, signing off.